the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Innovators Network. Welcome to the heart of innovation. 60 minutes that can save life and limb with new breakthrough ideas and innovation changing the healthcare landscape. Brought to you by patient advocacy group, thewaytomyheart.org, in partnership with Cardiovascular System Incorporated's patient advocacy campaign, Take a Stand Against Amputation. Here are your hosts for the Heart of Innovation, Emmy Award-winning journalist and founder of The Way to My Heart, Kim McNicholas, and interventional cardiologist and founder of the Save My Piggies Health Education Series, Dr. John Phillips. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the show. This is a very special episode. We are honored to have a patient who has peripheral artery disease, which is that circulation issue that we talk a lot here on the show about which can lead to amputation. And this patient is going to share his harrowing story of how his fight to save his leg. Also joining us is going to be his cardiothoracic surgeon who has been fighting right alongside him in trying to save his leg. So you want to stick around. Don't miss this story because I think you're going to learn a lot about the importance of getting a second opinion and just finding that right doctor who is willing to fight right alongside you to save your legs as well as your life. I'm joined, of course, by Dr. John Phillips. And guess what, John? This is episode one of year two of our show. What uh, what a milestone, huh? And uh, I think the fact that this is, it sounds like going to be a mainly just a, a kind of a save my piggies type story, which is near and dear to my heart. Another thing that I guess is near and dear to both of our hearts is the uh, conference that we were both at in Louisiana. So we had to see each other, what, three times in the last uh three months and then prior to that we'd never met in person so a lot of uh, a lot of big milestones the last couple of weeks for us so how you been fantastic and we had a really big leg save this week and it still warms my heart this young 30 something african-american gentleman full of life in north carolina whose doctor had taken one toe. He had a little bit of gangrene on a couple of toes. And at that point, the podiatrist said, you need to go back to your vascular surgeon. And here's a 30-something with peripheral artery disease, 30-something, so much more life to live, right? Still single, trying to date the ladies. And he's being told that he needs a below-the-knee amputation. He found us online. Actually, one of our fellow network PAD warriors, as we call them for peripheral artery disease patients, um, those who are fighting for their life and limb, ended up seeing him on a different site and steered him to the way to my heart to help him with our leg saver hotline. And we were able to get him to, and I have to say, Dr. James Antizana over in Charlotte, North Carolina. And he calls me and says, 
why a below the knee amputation? I could literally save his leg like that. Not even a consideration. So just on Tuesday, he brought him in. Within an hour, he was able to unblock the artery, send him on his way. And he said, no amputation is needed. So really, really exciting. And it was the day before his amputation was scheduled. He got to cancel it. That's awesome. I I had a, a, well, so we were at the conference. I was only there for a couple of days. And then when I got back on Thursday, I had um, office hours and then I went to the cath lab and I had met a patient that was referred over to me for like a third opinion. He was actually in the hospital. And this was one that we we couldn't save his leg. He I they had taken some images and, and the poor gentleman had just let it go too long. And um, the, the thing that always I just I scratch my head with with the PAD folks and those that have uh, really significant vascular diseases because it it often starts with just something benign like an ingrown toenail. So this gentleman had an ingrown toenail like two months ago, and it was he kind of picked at it and then it just didn't heal and it progressed to gangrene and now he's going to lose his leg. Like there's nothing that that we can do for him, unfortunately. But conversely, yesterday, similar thing. I saw a woman as like a third opinion. We finally got her into the cath lab and it was the same deal. She had picked her an ingrown toenail and she's going to lose one of her toes, but was told by by a couple other uh, physicians that she needed a a below the knee amputation. And and, uh, it took a while, but we got that a couple arteries opened up and I think, you know, we're going to, we're going to save her legs. So today, you know, like this week I had the, the both ends of the spectrum. I really hate telling patients that there's nothing we can do because, um, you know, it, it, it feels like we're kind of quitting a little bit, but, but also I do say when I meet a patient who has no other option that needs an amputation, I want them to get that amputation as soon as possible because, you know, think about it. They're not, they haven't moved around, maybe walked or put weight on that leg for a while. And the longer they're debilitated, the more muscle mass they lose and the harder it is to get back into that prosthesis. So, um, you know, there, I don't know that there's a silver lining there, but, uh, again, I, we, we try to do, because we were talking about this before the show went on, we all try to do what's right for the patient. And certainly you had a big save this week as well. So congratulations. Thank you. You know, it's hard either way. And one of the things we always tell our, our patients is you need to ask your doctor, what is your threshold before amputation? How are you exhausting all efforts? To what extent do you exhaust all efforts in trying to save my life, my limb? And it speaks volumes for you. You mentioned those conferences that we saw each other at. Some of the most prestigious limb-saving conferences in the world with some of the best of the best limb savers. And it was so great to see you on faculty for these conferences. And I think that that's a good criteria for some of these patients to use. Look at the conferences. These Talk to your doctor about the conferences they're going to. Google their names. See what conferences they're affiliated with and in which conferences they're faculty. And I think, and the presentations they give, you can see a lot and learn a lot from the title of their presentation. So I think that, that that's really important. And I actually saw Dr. David Alley surprising. It was just like, whoa, of course he's going to be at um, one of these limb saving conferences. And it was great to see you, Dr. Alley, this week. Well, my dear, it was great to see you, but I have to admit that's the first time in 14 years I've made it to these conferences. You know, I was a part of all of that starting it many, many years ago. So I'm smiling because I saw you and because I'm good to reconnect back with a, a lot of the things that, that actually I was among the first to, to do some of that stuff. And it's great to be reconnected again. 
and you have been a part of keep, getting me back connected. I love that. So exciting. Um, and, you know, it still speaks volumes. You don't have to really go to one of these. You you defined <laughs> these conferences and you're so busy every single day um, with so many patients. I mean, how many cases are you doing a day these days? Well, it depends on the day. Sometimes on Sundays, I don't do any, you see. <laughs> I'm kidding. But sometimes so, you so do, you, but sometimes you, you do. You, you, well, you have visited us. You know, I've surrounded myself with maybe one of the best teams ever. And, and you know, the things that Dr. Walker does, you know, is are, are similar. As you know, me and him were partners going back 30-some years ago. Right, you both so started anyway, the NCPH The answer to that is we, we could do, I can sometimes do a dozen cases a day. And, and uh, I'm getting to the point where I shouldn't be doing that many. And I'm pick and choose and have my, myself some partners. And when we talk to Mr. Thomas here, I'm going to tell you that I have done this for 45 years. And I will tell Mr. Thomas, I have not seen a patient like him in this, in my entire career. And we'll get into that, how unusual this case really was. That's a heck of a segue. <laughs> that is really coming up. We're going to hear Thomas's story and the fight to save his limbs. So you don't want to miss it. Stay with us right here on the Heart of Innovation and our Save My Piggy special. Leg health can indicate risk for heart attack, stroke, and amputation. If you have leg pain or cramps while walking, get checked for peripheral artery disease, or PAD. PAD is plaque buildup in mainly the leg arteries. Be sure to ask your physician for an ankle brachial index, also called an ABI test, where they use blood pressure cuffs to analyze the blood pressure in your legs. If they discover you have arterial plaque that's limiting blood flow to your feet, medicine and a regimented walking program are frontline treatment. If PAD is in its advanced stages, your physician may schedule a surgical intervention. Minimally invasive tools are available to remove plaque and restore blood flow, including cardiovascular system's Diamondback 360 atherectomy system, which sands away plaque that is a hard calcium. It's important to discuss all options with your physician, and if told you have no options, get a second opinion. Take a stand against amputation. For more information, go to standagainstamputation.com. That's standagainstamputation.com. Welcome back to The Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Welcome back, everybody. Oh, oh, Kim, I was going to cut you off. I'm sorry. I'm so excited. We're, we're just welcoming everyone in tandem. I love it. Well, we are. And and uh, I was just thinking to myself, we went through, we burned through that first segment so quickly. We're going to have to be a little bit more terse in order to get to the meat of this um, show, which is Thomas and then Dr. Alley, right? <clears throat> yeah. And this is our Save My Piggy special. And we'd like to introduce Thomas. He's been waiting there patiently. And we just... <laughs> applaud his his courage for being here and you know throughout i'm sure that dr ali has looked at all of his records he's so diligent and detail-oriented looked at all of his records leading up to the point where he's gotten involved with treatment so dr ali at any point during thomas's story feel free to jump in to clarify anything that would help our our viewers and listeners understand his story and any lessons that they can learn along the way. But welcome, Thomas. Thank you so Hi. much for being here and all your courage to uh, and your inspiration that you're going to provide. Thank you. 
So let's get right to it. Peripheral artery disease, circulation issue affecting mainly the legs. When did you start feeling the initial symptoms of leg pain, leg cramps, weakness, heaviness um, in, in your limbs? It was March 2021 when I started feeling the real weakness. I was actually at work. I just started a new job. I took about 10 steps in my right, my, my left leg, it just wouldn't, it didn't want to play. It didn't want to move. It was so painful. I never understood it. I thought it was muscle cramps. And I had to go home early from work. And I thought, okay, I'll rest it. And then the next day, next day I'm going back to work. Well, it gradually just got worse over a week. Um, it wasn't until I got into to see a specialist, a cardiothoracic surgeon, sorry, um, where they did a, I can't remember the name of it, where they were trying to look for the the, um, the pulse in my ankle. And he's like, Thomas, do you need to have emergency surgery? You have no pulses in both your ankles. And I was like, <clears throat> isn't that a bit strange? You know, I've got no pulses but I, I'm still moving around. I'm still walking. Hey, Thomas, can I just inter- interject real quick? Because what, what you sure. said, I think um, it, it always sparks my interest because it's a common um, uh, you know, complaint that I hear from patients. And as an interventional cardiologist and Dr. Ali as a cardiothoracic surgeon, um, you know, I, when people have chest pain, that sets alarm bells off and they often seek medical attention. So, okay, we don't want you to have a heart attack, but, but a lot of patients have kind of that acute limb attack and they, they kind of think it may be a muscle cramp and then it gets put off, gets put off. And then ultimately a few weeks later, you know, we, we hear from them. So folks that are listening, please don't ignore your body. If something uh, and, and I think our guest last week, too, to some degree, she had an acute onset symptom that that really triggered, um, you know, ultimately some some work up further along the way. But please don't don't ignore ignore your body. And, you know, what's interesting is prior to coming on today, Thomas, you had mentioned that even prior to 2021, you did have symptoms back in what, 2016, Mm-hmm. Yes, ma'am. That gave us some indication that that should have given doctors an indication that you had PAD. Yeah, that, that's right. Because I had what it was, I had pain in my hip, and it, it wasn't in the hip; it was to the outside of it. So when I went to my doctor and I told him, you know, when I walk so far, my hip starts to hurt, and then my buttock starts to hurt, you know, and then my my um, calf, it was like it went from one extreme to another. So he, he sent me off for a CT scan. And he did tell me, I think he had an inclination in his mind, but he wasn't sure. He told me if he didn't find what he could find on a CT scan, what was wrong, he was sending me for an MRI. Well, the MRI, it actually got denied. It wasn't cancelled. My insurance um, denied it. So I never got it. And and then, but I did notice, though, you know, over the years between then and like up until present day, it had started getting worse and more about. And and I I just didn't understand it. At that time, I did have to go in and have um, two stints done in my heart. 
Um, a previous one had to be reopened, which was the LED. When I, they told me I had complete heart failure with that. And then the main coronary artery, uh, they had to open that up. And, um, you know, it was just strange how all this happened. And, but after that surgery, I was good with my heart. I've stayed good with it. I learned a lot from it. I learned to listen to my surgeon, not to say, okay, well, I can get away with doing this. Or, you know, at the time I was still smoking cigarettes. And, but I, after that, I was like, no, I can't keep doing this. I, I don't want to die. You know, I was so afraid. Um, mm-hmm. And then it went to, after that, all this started happening. It was nothing to do with my heart stints or anything. It was just, it was strange how it happened to me. Now, Thomas, so ultimately you're being evaluated by a, a physician for the leg discomfort and then you get told you need emergency surgery. So what, what are the next steps there? What, what were they planning on doing for you? All right. This is where it got really kind of strange and weird for me. Um, they, they took me down. The, the day of the, um, I was meant to have a stent put in. It was meant to be in my left leg. Well, for some reason, they said they couldn't get in there in the left leg. They looked in the, the right leg. And I was only down in surgery, I think maybe 10, 12 minutes before I was back out being told, well, you have to have emergency surgery. We're waiting for your insurance, you know, to clear it so we can do it. And it was a bypass. Um, femoral to popliteal and femoral to femoral on the left side from the right. And, but the problem was, the, so, was, that the was a, so they needed to do a fempop bypass, which was, is from the thigh to just below the knee. Correct. Yes, ma'am. That, that's then, right. And then you said there was also a femfem, which is thigh to thigh. Uh-huh. Yes, ma'am. Where they reroute blood flow from one leg to the other leg. Yes, ma'am. Well, Both at once? They did it. Both, they they did three different things at the one at the same time. Um, wow. They what they did. What see the problem was always the left leg. It was so so painful. The right was just. It was very light pain in it. It wasn't too bad. Um, now the after they did the fan pop and the fan fan. I believe it was in that order. The surgeon, he was a, he was from Texas. But he was in it with a group of surgeons. You know, he can do surgery all over the country. Well, he told me, he said, Thomas, you were in surgery so long because we had to do a, I can't remember the name. He cleaned out the artery. And, and all I can think of it is, is rotorotity. You know, he went through there. That's what took so long. And after that, I had so many, I had a lot of problems. I had a lot of other problems. Um, down to this surgery. Um, can I go on about the other problems with my other organs? Well, we've got about a minute left before we go go to our next break, so we'll probably have you pause for a right. second. But the, the, so ultimately, you had these three surgeries, and you were presumably discharged from the hospital. And then when we come back from break, you're going to tell us how you were doing because it sounds like you didn't feel any better or things got worse? I didn't do good. It, it got worse. It got worse. Gotcha. 
Great. Well, coming up right here on The Heart of Innovation, we're going to hear more from Thomas' story and, of course, hear from Dr. David Alley, who is treating him now and fighting to save his legs. So stay with us. Three years ago, my symptoms started with leg pain and leg cramps while walking. Me too, with a tightness in my calves. Well, do you know, my doctor thought that my leg cramps were a side effect of the statin he prescribed me. Well, my doctor just brushed them off as another symptom of old age. Mine thought the pain was radiating from my spine. My doctor blamed my neuropathy on diabetes until I got a wound on my foot that just wouldn't heal. Yeah, it turns out we all have peripheral artery disease, also known as PAD. It's plaque buildup mainly in the leg arteries causing poor circulation. For me, the diagnosis came too late and I lost my leg. But that does not have to happen to you. No, it does not because there are treatment options available if you're diagnosed early enough. PAD peripheral artery disease. If you've been experiencing leg pain, leg cramps, or neuropathy when walking, and your doctor isn't hearing you, we are. We are the way to my heart, the largest support network for peripheral artery disease patients, and we want to help you get back on your feet again. Visit our website at thewaytomyheart.org or call our LegSaver hotline, 415-320-7138. Your life Life and limb could depend on it. Save my piggies, your life, your limb, your story. With host Dr. John Phillips and Kim McNicholas. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the show. We are sharing Thomas's story. Thomas is alongside his new cardiothoracic surgeon. He is uh, fighting to save Thomas's leg, and they're both working together on this. Before the break, Thomas, you were sharing that you had multiple bypasses done, a femoral popliteal bypass, which is from the thigh to just below the knee, as well as a fem-fem bypass, which is rerouting blood flow from one leg to another. And then on top of that, you ended up with a little, what you described as roto-rooting, where they go in with wires and balloons and maybe a what they call an atherectomy device, which is a plaque uh-huh. removal device and remove some of that plaque. How are you doing now, or how are you doing, let's say, following that? Um, do you mean from when I started seeing Dr. Alley? After no, all? before Dr. Alley, because we're going to get to what led to Dr. Alley. Right, right. Um, well, it was a couple of weeks later, I had a home health nurse coming out, and they would come around and do my dressings. And... You know, they told me I could get up, I could walk to the bathroom, which is only a short distance away. But I got a different pain this time. I was getting like a, a shooting pain coming up from my toes on the on the right right leg, right up to my groin, and and it was it was a, w- a real weird feeling. It wasn't a pain; it was more a sore, but it was in the the groin area. And and then, um, two weeks after that, I went back for a follow up. When I went to follow up with my surgeon, I got to his office and I was told, you won't be seeing your surgeon today. He's no longer with us. He's gone somewhere else. And I kind of got upset and I thought, oh, boy, did something go wrong with it? And um, I've seen another surgeon. I believe it was a surgeon up above this surgeon who did my surgery. And he told me I, I had infection at the time. That was the first thing he told me. I had infection in the groin. 
And um, he told me the only way that we will remove that, that graft that we put in is if the graft becomes infected. And this went on for like several months. I panicked because the surgery, what it had done to me, and I was so afraid I was going to lose my leg or, you know, right. and, and it built up on me. Well, anyway, after, after, I believe it was after maybe four to six weeks, they told me the graft had failed. Both of them, the fem-fem and the, the fem-pop had failed. So, Thomas, if I could interject, because I want to hear from Dr. Alley, just so we can get a little bit more color behind uh-huh. this. So I guess a couple of thoughts that come to mind. Maybe the first surgeon was a locums and was just kind of spending a little bit of time there. And then the second thing, Dr. Ali, I'd like to hear from your thoughts. So presumably the incision got infected and then that ultimately led to the, the graft. Maybe it failed because of outflow issues, but then the graft got infected also. Well, guys, tell me when, when I'll come in with some clinical stuff because you're, you're close, but you're not exactly right on, on all of this from the standpoint of medically and what I was faced with and what I decided to do for him. May, yeah, may no, I I'd love to hear. Yeah, We'd love to in. hear from that point. Yeah, no, exactly. So, We'd so, love so, because so, we're just guessing. We're pretty good guessers. Well, uh, y- yes, you are, and so was I, and, there, and that's always uh, good to have luck on your side, okay? But there's things that had to be proven one way or the other. So Thomas is a fellow who was a smoker. He was not a bad diabetic. That is important because he never had digital ischemia, and that is hard to overcome. He had a he had a normal kind of atherosclerotic process in, in which smoking in, in relatively small vessels for a male, and he was suffering from PAD symptoms for several years, and, and as I look back on this, he had significant disease. It was kind of identified. And the treatment finally came, it appeared, when he had, had really had a occlusion worsening some of his chronic disease. That brought his symptoms on, but they weren't at his toe. Many of your audience is going to be diabetics. The, the, the normal thing is it starts from the toes up. That, luckily for Thomas, was not his case. His ischemia was to the muscles and into the larger blood vessels. Now, with that said, when he went in for treatment, I believe, you know, he was seen by, by vascular surgeons who I will say, I would, would, would hint are adequate and were good, yet he was very complex. This was a very complex anatomy that he presented to these physicians. That same kind of case had presented, let's say, to somebody who had more endovascular training or skills to do things with wires versus open surgery. I see that all the time, and and I'm lucky enough to have a staff in which we can correct most things like Thomas without ever having to go to open surgery. Now, that doesn't mean there's not a place for open surgery because there occasionally is. In his case... He did not have anatomy and and the situation that was conducive to fixing without an open surgery. They made an appropriate decision, I think, in their hands that they would now offer him surgery because they were concerned about the limb. They 
chose a fem 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 pop bypass, which is complex. It, it, I have done them. They are recognized procedures, but they are complex and, and there are risks and benefits. And one of the things that, that Thomas suffered for, from was, first of all, his, his, his revascularization or the bypass did not work the way that, that, that was proposed. And I doubt that it worked very long at all. So, so in their attempts to correct his circulation, he, he had an open surgery procedures. Anybody who has these open surgery procedures have a risk for the wounds not healing where the incisions were at. He had a long bunch of incisions. There was, even if this had worked, it had 10 to 20% chance that he may have some kind of a wound complication. That right. goes back to one of the reasons why it is always, it, it, in 2023, we should have endovascular procedures, which are non-surgical procedures in almost every patient as the first line of treatment that, that will revascularize and save most of these patients without an open surgery. Dr. Ali, I, ha- I have to, I hate to, I hate to interrupt you, but we're going to go to break. But I also want to just make sure I heard that correctly. As a surgeon, you're suggesting yeah. we should go to go to endo first. I mean, I I do endo first because I'm I don't have the opportunity to flip, but I like what I hear. I like what I hear. And well, this, this, this brand new. This goes back to the days of Tom Fogarty, Ted Dietrich. In other words, we have the surgeons who realize this are. They're, they're, they're few, but there's more now than there used to be. And so I think it should be well accepted, even by most surgeons, okay, who now have those and are taught those skills because they weren't before. That, that the patients out there ought to go somewhere where no matter which physician you see, you, it should be optimal that all endovascular non-surgical treatments are offered first. And that's what you, you saw. Are right? so you are so preaching to the choir here. We love you, Dr. Alley. Coming up next right here on the Heart of Innovation, we'll have more with our Save My Piggy special and we'll continue Thomas's story. Medical Notepad brought to you by Cardiovascular Systems Incorporated's patient advocacy campaign, Take a Stand Against Amputation and The Weight of My Heart. Where are the gaps in care for PAD at the moment? Where, what is really our Achilles heel at this point? What keeps you awake at night? That's a great question. So right now, what we are seeing is a new era of disease. And that is what keeps everyone up at night. 30 years ago, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, diabetes was a major issue even then. But insulin came on the scene and we were able to take patients who were just dying from having diabetes and slipping into a coma and dying to surviving. And that era of what we call coma gave way to the era now of complications. That was said by a very famous uh, diabetologist, Dr. Jocelyn. What that means is as patients are living longer because we fixed one problem, we now are starting to see new problems that we didn't even know existed. And so nowadays, it is rare to see a patient that comes in who has a little bit of calcium, basically from their knee down to their ankle, and I'm sitting there saying, oh, easy fix. I'm just going to bypass down to your ankle or I'm just going to take one of these wonderful you know, wires and catheters and get across it and balloon it. Because nowadays what we're seeing is kind of this carpet bombing destruction of all of the blood vessels that kind of 
exist from mid-calf all the way down to the toes. And that is a product of someone living with diabetes 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. And we don't know what it looks like when someone's living with diabetes 70 years, 80 years, 100 years. So what's keeping us up at night is what's around the bend? What's the next monster? Because what's happened, right, is initially we said, okay, we have patients with diabetes. We're going to do bypasses on them. Then it became, oh, wow, the endovascular revolution. We can do stents and, and wires and these other new things. And then we were like, hey, we got nothing below the knee. Let's start working on that. And we started working on that. Now we have a toolkit for that. But now we have, hey, there's no blood flow to the foot. And the problem with amputation is when you, you can amputate a person's toe, everything's good. You can amputate half the foot and you can still keep your leg. But the next level after half the foot is not the ankle. It's below the knee. So now you've got people who lose their leg entirely. And as we know, 50% of patients who are elderly who lose their leg are dead within one year of that amputation. So it's a big deal to get the vascular system in check. And so what we now have is deep venous arterialization, which is this new procedure where you can take the veins of the foot and put arterialized blood, which has oxygen and nutrients, into the veins of the foot to deliver it down to the tissues. So that's like the next revolution in trying to help these patients. But what keeps us up at night is, well, what's going to happen next? And even now, with deep venous arterialization, only a subset of patients are, are, are able to be selected for that. So we still have a slew of patients. And by 2045, every single country in the world, third world, first world, doesn't matter, is going to have almost a 50% increase in diabetes. So what are we going to do about all of these patients? And yes, we're talking about PAD, about the legs. But guess what? The vascular system traverses the entire body. What about stroke? What about heart attack? All these patients, that's what's killing them. And so what keeps us up is trying to figure out and get ahead of what we know is coming by 2045. Remember, the advice and views offered during this series are for informational and educational purposes only. Always ask your own health care provider for explicit consent before acting on any information provided here. If you want more information on peripheral artery disease, go to StandAgainstAmputation.com. And for real-time support, go to TheWayToMyHeart.org. Welcome back to The Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the show. This is our segment Piggy Special. We have Thomas here who's been sharing his rim-saving story alongside his cardiothoracic surgeon, Dr. David Alley. And we're going to get to the point where Dr. David Alley started treating him in this segment. It's a short segment, but let's just um, get to the point. You ended up getting in touch with The Way to My Heart, which is our leg-saving nonprofit organization. And our nurse practitioner at the time said, Thomas, you have this infection. I need you to go right now to the emergency room and get some antibiotics. You said, okay, I'm going to go to my local hospital. I'm going to get the antibiotics. And what happened while you were there? They said, we're not just going to give you antibiotics. We're going to cut you open again, right? Yeah. Yes, that's right. They they told me I didn't have no infection. Um, and then, But they, they put 22 vials of um, antibiotics through an IV. But you I had no infection? No, I had no infection. That's what no, they said. Absolutely none. 
And but they, they, but you could see it. It was oozing. It was brown. It was all colors. It was really hot. It was nasty. And, it and this was at like the incision it. site of your last bypass. Yes, right. ma'am. Yes, yes, it was. And it was, it was just above the knee, where the, there was one little cut, I guess, where they come down from the the groin down there, and there was like an area where I've got like a three inch scar. And then down below the knee, that was above the knee, the three-inch scar. And then the one above the, sorry, the one below the knee was about six inches. Wow. Um, they they were both so, infected. And so you actually, I just, you actually in this moment decided I'm not doing any more cuts. I'm going to do as the way to my heart suggested. I'm going to go get a second opinion. And that's when you went to Dr. David Alley. You checked yourself out and said, I need another doctor. Yeah, this was actually a third opinion because I had the second surgeon. Um, the, the strange thing was they kept telling me, you need a bypass, you need a bypass. I said, I just had a bypass there. And they're like, no, you're going to lose your leg. We're going to end up having to amputate it if you don't do this bypass. Well, in the end of it all. So, um, so Thomas, when you decided you've had enough, wanted your third opinion, and, uh-huh. and real quick, what what did what did the doctors think when you said that? Hey, I'm leaving. What they, they they told me I was refusing treatment, which said okay. I wasn't. I wanted that opinion, that third opinion. I have that right to it. Um, and I asked about the antibiotics. Why they were pumping so many antibiotics through me if I didn't have infection? And then my main concern was they they wanted to do a surgery again, and I had infection, which would end up spreading right through my whole body. Well, man, anyway, long, long story short, from this guy that I've seen up at ER, he told me, like, you're refusing treatment. The surgeon's back tomorrow. I said, no. I said, I'm going home. I'm going back to work. You know, I was, I was adamant. And um, after that, no, they won't see me at all up there. And so, Dr. Ali, you jumped in, and what did you find when he went to see you? Okay, guys, so so he presented to me, he's described surgical incisions that were, uh, were about to completely fall apart. So, so he, when he came to me, the, the, the first thing I had to do was to try to determine whether or not this guy needed an amputation. Because in truth, if his graft was infected, it would have to be removed, and he had, and he, and at that point, he would have had to have an amputation. And what is also not said here is he's had multiple knee procedures, so there was a lot of things going on there, and I had to determine whether this was superficial or deep infection of the graft. Now he happened to land in my hands. And as a surgeon, I also happen to do advanced wound care. I'm hyperbaric certified. I do all of these other things that are ideal for wound care also. I determined because he wasn't diabetic, he had no ischemic on his toes, that if his wound was superficial and it was superficially infected, which it was, that is different than a deep infection. So I, so I had to prove to myself and this was done by quick testing, including an MRI. This meant that he did not have a deep infection. Everything was superficial. And if I could get him some additional blood flow and treat his wound, then he didn't have to have an amputation. 
but that he would need complex wound care, skin grafts, all of those things, which I was willing to do and understand Thomas could still walk. So he did not have anything that did not give me the time. So, so I also wanted to see if I could help him with revascularization without surgery. So I did an angiogram, which means I took him to the cath lab from the arm, and I sought ways to help him with wires. The answer is he had no wire accessibility to revascularize him. So, Dr. Ali, I'm going to, I'm going to, sorry to interrupt you, sir. I'm going to have you stop right there. We need to go to break. Um, but one, once we come back, um, you're going to finish, finish the story for us. So stay tuned, please. Welcome back to the Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. We only have about five minutes left, Dr. Ali. You were uh, beginning to tell us about your um, kind of treatment plan for Thomas. But before you do that, or, and I hope you get or at least get into it, because you had told us before the show started that you had never seen a case like this. So expand on that, please. I'll do that. Can I do that now? Please. Yes. So, so, so to the audience, he presented with infection, ischemia without blood flow, draining wounds, the possibility of graft infection, knee space infection. The reason I'm telling you that is because almost every case like this would have already had an amputation. But, but, and that was what he was probably looking at but, because I don't think he had any abilities to have revascularization. Now, with that said, so that puts him at the end of the, the whole scope, and I see patients at the end, but most of those patients, again, have digital wounds. They have things that cannot, that, that, that rapidly go into gangrene. He had ischemia, which means a lack of blood flow, but he wasn't in acute need for an amputation, nor revascularization, nor anything at that moment, in my opinion. Uh, so we took an angiogram. He had no options to get him more blood flow. Not, in my opinion, not surgical and not with wires. So therefore, I was focusing on a massive wound in a patient who didn't have much blood flow. But I felt, because of my clinical experience and what, what I'm seeing, is that he had enough blood flow to heal his wound if we could keep it from getting a deep infection because he could still walk. So my, so, so I, and I had to make a decision, was I going to take this on? Because there's people who are looking at somebody like myself, is he doing too much? Is, is this really a non-salvageable situation? So I made a clinical decision that I think I could work with this, this patient for those medical reasons. And I had a patient who looked me in the eye and he seriously wanted to save his leg. I had Kim McNicholas. I had the foundation. I had them Ubering him back and forth. This wasn't just David Ollie. So, so I was compelled to help this gentleman and go through the process starting to treat the superficial infection, treat the wound, do the best I can with those skills. 
because I had those other skills, but they weren't applicable to him. So, David, meaning David we, we, we have uh, we've got less than a minute left. So tell us where where you're at right now with his with his wound so, care. So I made a decision and we did uh, complex debridements. I proved that it was superficial. I put on split thickness skin grafting. We now have this thing almost completely healed. He walks, he get around. I met his wife. And may I throw in that during this several month period of time, I was in the hospital myself, the floor below Thomas with acute kidney stones. I'm Thomas, still you remember that? calling the shots yeah, to help Thomas. It was amazing. Yeah. And so, yeah. So, so this was a very complex case. He, this deserves the, the audience understanding. Get multiple opinions from multiple physicians. Rely on Kim. She knows who can do the wires, do the, the stents, do the surgeries, do the wound care. And this is a very complex case. And at this moment, we got a fellow who's smiling. He don't have no cigarettes. He's responded. We've got, got him on maximum anticoagulation. His wound is almost completely healed. And to, to my knowledge, we're going to get it healed. And, and, I, that, and I will continue. That, that's <laughs> fantastic. I have to ask, Thomas, did you lose any digits? Or have, have your piggies been saved? My piggies have been saved, every one of them. The very first question I ask him every time I walk in is, how's your toes? Because you understand that now puts it in a different category, a different category. Yep. And so now, are we, do we have a long-term leg saving possibility here? Yes, we do. We we do. He has no imminent wounds. Now, he got to take care of his toes because if he does have a wound, if he has something like that, he has very little clothes, enough to save his leg, enough to keep him ambulatory and walking, have a smile on his face and enjoy his life. The wound care has been complex. He has allowed it to happen. I have provided it, and here we are today. Thank you so much, Dr. David Alley. We really appreciate you. Thank you, Thomas, for sharing your story. Thank you, all of you, for joining us on our Save My Piggy special. Have a great weekend, everyone. You've been listening to The Heart of Innovation with Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Our mission is to help patients live a better quality of life through comprehensive education, real-time support, and high-touch advocacy in partnership with thewaytomyheart.org and take a stand against amputation. Our purpose is to reduce the 1.5 million heart attacks and strokes and nearly 200,000 amputations annually. For more information regarding topics you've heard discussed on today's program, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. The Heart of Innovation is for educational and informational purposes only, and advice and views shared are not a substitute for medical advice from your own supervising physician. Do not act on any information provided in this show without the explicit consent from your own healthcare team. If you think you are having a medical emergency, call your local emergency number or go to the nearest hospital or emergency room. This show is distributed by the Innovators Network. For more information and other great shows and content, visit theinnovators.network. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.